I want to talk a bit about prayer this morning, but to get started, I want to root us in just some imagery, because you know, God made us visual people, and so I think sometimes having an image in mind really helps in this process. And so we're going to talk, just, just for a few moments as I start, I want to talk about fire, and fire as an image in Scripture. Um, and so if you know the Bible and you're thinking about fire, you automatically jump in your head back to the beginning, right? In the beginning, God creates everything. He creates the day, and then he creates this big ball of fire, right, that governs the day. Uh, you go further on, and you get Exodus with the burning bush. The fire appears in this bush, and, and God gives this calling to Moses. You go further on, and there's a pillar of fire leading the people of Israel through the wilderness, uh, you can fast forward to Elijah at the top of a mountain as there's this big fiery moment. You've got the prophets of Baal with fire falling from heaven. You go all the way to Pentecost, that amazing moment where the Spirit falls like fire from heaven and anoints the church for its mission. And you can fast forward all the way to the end with Revelation where you've got judgment fire reigning from heaven over the earth. So from beginning to end, fire is this key theme in Scripture and I think fire is really important. When we start thinking about prayer, I think there are two images around fire that are really helpful. So the first one that I want to put up here, just a picture of a bonfire. I, I thought about putting up a picture of wildfire, but it's a little close to home in this last season. But, but with this image, when you think about fire, it's raw and it's ferocious and it's dangerous. It's unpredictable. It's uncontrollable. Uh, fire with all of its mess. You get these verses like in Hebrews 12 and in Deuteronomy where it describes God as a consuming fire. That's like a, a scary, big, raw image as he's consuming everything in his path. And when it comes to prayer, uh, one of the things that happens as we engage in prayer as the church is we are rubbing up against and touching this bonfire-like power of God all its raw, uncontained, uncontrollable power. That's one element of what it's like to be engaging in prayer. The other image, though, on the total opposite end of the spectrum is a picture of a candlelit dinner. This is the other way culturally that we tend to experience fire. Uh, and, and what does this image mean for us? It's an image of intimacy, it's an image of connection. It's two people sitting down at a table gazing into each other's eyes. It's, it's an image of self-disclosure and vulnerability and revelation as you sit with one another and you share your story and your secrets and you connect. It's this deep moment of closeness, connection, and, and, and these moments at their best, they're physical, they're emotional, they're spiritual. Uh, and so when it comes to prayer, and we're engaging with God, at the end of the day, you've got these two images held hand in hand through the action of prayer. So on one hand, as we pray, we touch and rub up against the raw power of God as he's ready to unleash it on the earth. And on the other hand, it's this moment of intimate connection as we interact and experience revelation and self-revelation as we communicate with him and, and unbear ourselves to him as he reveals himself to us. And I think often when, when we engage in prayer, we, we sort of have one of those images that we kind of like. We either like to be the intercessor calling down the fire of God on the earth, or we think that's scary and we love to be over here in this place of intimacy. Um, but here's the deal. There's another picture that I want to stick up here that I think is probably a better image to represent prayer in the Western church. 
And it's one of these battery-operated tea lights. <laughs> the appearance of intimacy, the appearance of power and fire, by the end of the day, just a little plastic instrument that looks like a reflection of what it's supposed to be, where none of the power and none of the intensity and none of the intimacy that we're invited into. If your spouse invites you over for a candlelit dinner and there's one little plastic tea light in the middle of the table, there's not a lot of romantic gazing at one another across the room. Um, it's a cheap substitute, it's safe, and it's devoid of the power and the intimacy that God has called us to. And, and this is not how it's supposed to be. This is not the kind of prayer life that God wants the church to have. And so we're going to just spend a little bit of time unpacking some of the ways we're supposed to look at the church. And, and where I want to start is uh, with some words from Jesus. When he's here and he's living on the earth and he's doing his ministry, there's one point in Scripture where he talks about the, his, his house and what his house is supposed to be like. Who remembers what he says? It is written that my house will be called a house of prayer, not a house of preaching, not a house of worship, not a house of feasting, not a house of small group intimacy, not a house of justice out there in the streets, but a house of prayer is how he defined what his house is supposed to be. We're supposed to be, as the church, people who are cultivating habits of intimacy with God that put us in the position to call his power to move in the situations that we're part of. Um, the most perhaps convicting question, or maybe the better word is the most revealing question that I could ask you right now as we think about my house is to be called a house of prayer, is this. How are you doing in the area of prayer? If you were to look at your last week and add up in minutes how much time you spent in prayer, how does it compare to the amount of time you spent on Netflix, on social media, at work, criticizing the country <laughs> that we're a part of, complaining about COVID and the messy situations we're in. Um, I think as soon as we get into the realm of trying to quantify our prayer time, just about everyone I encounter is like, it's not the way it should be. Um, and so what I want to do today is basically offer an invitation. This is not a message that's supposed to be like, you're not praying enough, feel bad. But this is an invitation to step into an experience that God has for us and an experience that he has designed the church to be about and to be central to our functioning as the people of God. So where I want to go from here, I'm going to read a favorite passage of mine as it relates to prayer. This is in Isaiah 62. And just to set it up, I want you to be reflecting on those two pictures that I just had up on the screen, the raw power to transform and change and then this image of intimacy. And I want you to look in this passage at, at those present. Um, and this is a passage in Isaiah where he is talking about watchmen. And, and watchmen, all the way through Scripture, watchmen is often an, an image that's used metaphorically and interchangeably with the intercessors. And so this is talking about watchmen on the walls. But it's a statement about the kind of heart of intercession God desires for his people and then the result of that. So let's look at Isaiah 62, starting in verse 1. He writes, For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, we could say Wilsonville's sake, 
I will not remain, remain quiet till her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your vindication and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hephzibah, which means he delights in you, and your land Beulah, which means married. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land will be married. The intimacy imagery here. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. And then the part, I don't know how we can ever escape this as a church. I have posted watchmen on your walls, Jerusalem. They will never be silent day or night. You who call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes her the praise of the earth. God speaking to Israel through Isaiah. Uh, there's lots of things in the Old Testament where God is talking to the people of Israel that we can't directly apply to us. But when God is speaking in general to his people, it has a crossover to us as the people of God. And I love, as this finishes in verse 6 and 7, this statement, you who call on the Lord, that's us as the church, give yourself no rest. And then this command to us, to give him no rest until he does the very thing that he said he'd do. And what did he say he'd do? He'll transform the world. He'll save the lost. He'll, he'll, he'll bring restoration. He'll do the work. He will return uh, with the fire and the power that he said he's going to do. It's, a, it's a, a passage that's about transformation through intercession. Um, and so as, as we go on from here, I want, I want those images and this passage in mind because this is the deal. As you look at your own life, there are things that you want to see changed in your life. As you look at this church, there are dreams that you have for what God's going to do in Creekside Bible Church. There are things as you look at the city round about us that you're like, God, I desperately want to see change. The change that you want to see in yourself, in the church, and the community is not going to come apart from this posture of crying out night and day to God to bring the transformation that he said he would bring. So, if you want it, <laughs> here's how we go about this. So I, I, want, to, I want to share just a few quotes um, that, that I really love from, from people. Some of them are dead. Some of them are people that I know contemporary, that I just love what they say. Um, but these quotes really frame our understanding of prayer and offer this invitation and challenge to you to be a person and to be a church that's marked by prayer. So the first one I want to put up is, is this statement by Martin Luther. And he said this, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Uh, when, when I read a verse, uh, a quote like this, I automatically start thinking of scripture. John 15, abide in me. What does he say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, there is nothing of any value or worth that we can bring to this world apart from him. Um, prayer is the thing that transforms what we do in the world so that it's done in relationship with him. Uh, 
I'm sure you know this. Sometimes we get caught up in, in stereotypes of prayer, but prayer is more than just the words that we say, right? It's the attitude with which we walk in the world. It's the connectivity with God that we have that transforms our normal action uh, from something that you do in your own ability to something you do in partnership with him. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, you can wake up in the morning, you can pick up a Bible, you can open it, you can read it, you can have some kind of understanding of it, and you can do it all without Jesus. The thing that makes the difference between a non-Christian picking up the Bible to read it and us picking up the Bible to read it is the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, illuminating the truth to us as we read it. And the way that we maximize and open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit to communicate with us as we interact with Scripture is prayer. We can walk outside, we can walk over to our neighbor, see that they have a need, and we can step out to serve the need that they have. And we can do it all in our own ability and get grumpy at the end of it, and we go home to our spouse, and we're like, I'm tired, they weren't appreciative. But that moment is transformed as we engage it through prayer, because what does prayer do? Prayer taps into the power of God in order to change our motivation and to give us a different fuel as we serve the people around about us. Um, You can get up and you can go about your day, go to work, serve your family, do what you do in a normal day, and you can do it all without Jesus. But prayer is the thing, as our heart turns towards him, it's the thing that takes the boring drudgery of the day in, day out, and turns it to an opportunity to experience partnership with God in every aspect of your day. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible to be alive without breathing. So just for a minute, I just want you to hold your breath. Maybe we should do a competition. See, see who can, let's, let's do it. Uh, Everyone on your feet. If, you're, if you can be on your feet, go up on your feet, just for fun. Audience participation. Kids, you might win this. Uh, so I just want you to take in, I'm going to count down from three. I want you to take a deep breath, and I want you to hold it for as long as you can. And when you, when you have to breathe, sit down. And we'll see who can hold for the longest, and we'll see who's most competitive. So everyone, you ready? Take a deep breath. Three, two, one, Go. thing about this is the game face that people put on. We need more joking because that will make more people get out. Who's the most competitive person in the room? Chad. Down to the last three, who's going to win? (laughs) It's all right, it can only go for so long. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, I've got all day. <laughs> there we go. We have a winner. At most, we're talking 90 seconds, right? If, if, uh, if prayer, uh, to be a Christian without prayer is no more impossible than, than being alive without breathing, we should last at most 90 seconds before we're turning our attention to him and asking him to intervene. And for many of us, it's weeks and weeks that we are walking dead because we're not engaging him in the way that he's called us to. It's the best part of preaching. You do that exercise, I get a, a, a one and a half minute break. So there you go. <laughs> um, quote number two that I want to put up here is from uh, Dr. Mark Jones. He's a pastor in the city, um, and I serve with him on the Prayer PDX team. And he often says this. He says, prayer is the most resisted activity on the planet. Prayer is the most resisted activity on the planet. Isn't it funny that we can have all the aspirations in the world to sit down and just have some time alone in prayer with Jesus, and it feels like everything in the world manages to get in the way of it. We're too busy, we're too tired, prayer is boring, we're sitting trying to read the word, we're trying to pray, we're distracted, all of these interruptions come up, the kids run in, the, 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 the car breaks down, like there's a disaster next door, everything gets in the way of prayer. It is the most resisted activity on the planet. Do you think it's any coincidence that prayer is the most simple activity we can do? That it puts us in touch with the ferocious power of God and this experience of intense intimacy that transforms us. Just by turning our attention to Him, we connect with the Spirit and are changed. It's so easy, and yet it's the hardest thing for us to commit to and to follow through on. The enemy is out to get the church and make us as prayerless as possible because he knows what happens when the church prays. I'll throw up here Ephesians 6. I always say throw up. It's such a bad phrase. We'll put on the screen Ephesians 6. Um, you know this passage well, but just to be reminded of the battle that we're living in and the weapons that we have. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes because he's out to get us. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against Kate Brown. It's not against the school district. It's not against whatever presidential administration. It's not against the Taliban. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. The rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with a the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil ones, so all the defensive stuff. Now we get into the offensive work. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then Paul throws in, pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words would be given so that I fearlessly 
make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Paul understands. We live in the middle of a spiritual war. Prayer is the weapon that is going to call the power of God to drive out the forces of darkness. And we sit as the church complaining about what's going on in the world while we sit prayerless in our room, not doing anything to change it. God has given us access to his throne room to call transformation into the world. So we've got to spend twice as long on our knees in prayer as we do criticizing the situation round about. And if we can do that, things will change. Sorry, I'm a little fired up. Amen. (laughs) Number three up here. God is on the lookout for praying churches. There's a couple of scriptures that I love that I come back to often. One of them is 2 Chronicles 69. says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth, ready to strengthen the hearts of those who are fully committed to him. So right now, God's eyes are ranging all across Wilsonville, trying to find the people who are fully committed to him, ready to strengthen them to do his work. And what's one of the evidences that we're the people whose hearts are fully committed to him? We're on our knees, asking them to move through us into the world. Um, James 4.2, you know this one well. You have not because you ask not. There's so many things that we sit saying, I want this in my life. I want the change. I want the transformation. I want church to look different. I want the impact out there to be different. We don't have because we're not asking. Another one also in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, such a well-known passage, this if-then statement. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. One of the problems we have with passages like this, we've grown up in the Western world, And so we have individualistic Western eyes every time we read the scriptures. And we forget that the scriptures are written to communities of people, to God's people, and we're addressed as individuals in community. Never individuals separate from community and never the community as a whole without individual responsibility. So scripture balances the responsibility we have corporately with the role that we play in that individually. So when he makes a statement like this, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear. Our automatic answer to this is, if I get on my knees and I humble myself, then God's going to do this. But he's writing to his people, corporate. If my people together will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. Most of the the letters that we read, the prayers that Paul prays, the exhortations to prayer in the New Testament are all written to the church. So it's a call to corporate prayer. And there's one of these pieces, it's mystical, so I don't understand how it works, right? God has put the Holy Spirit and all his infinite greatness inside our frail human bodies as a human. And somehow, as I walk around the world, I carry the Spirit of God and the power of God into every environment I walk into. 
Whether I realize it or not, I bear his presence into the world. Something different happens when two Christians meet together. Though I have the infinite power of God in me, and though you have the infinite power of God in you, somehow when we get together, that is multiplied. And as we gather as the church, more of his spirit is present because more of us are open and surrendered to him working through us. It's why it's so important that we gather as the church because then the Spirit can move through more of us and impact more of us. And as we come together to pray, all of those passages where a couple of people gather together in my name, they have the authority to bind in heaven things in heaven, to bind on earth things on earth. And this power that's given to us when the community of God gathers together to pray. So what are the things that we want to see bound in our community? What are the things we want to see loosed and our community, what would happen if the church gathers together in agreement uh, to bind and loose? What, what do you think would happen to the city that we're in? So God is on the lookout for praying churches. Are you a praying church? And are you doing your part to make Creekside a praying church? So I want to fly through four sub-points of this, just to give some theology and framing around what, what this invitation is to be a praying church. The first one you're designed to live in partnership with God. Genesis 1, God creates, puts Adam and Eve in the garden to live in unbroken fellowship with him. We know the story, Genesis 3, they rebel against God, they eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they choose autonomous living over partnership with God. And so what we've done is we have inherited a posture in the world that we walk through the world on our own, separate from him, and what he created us for was partnership with him. The beautiful thing is Jesus comes, dies for the sins of the world. He's raised to life. Uh, anyone who puts their hope in him is saved. He pours the spirit into us. And so now, despite our sin and brokenness, we can continue to walk in unbroken partnership with God as we go about our, our daily work. Um, we are made in his image the creator God with all his raw power to transform, the relational God with the desire for intimacy. We're created in that image and we partner with him as we do those things in the world. So you were designed to live in partnership with him. How are you doing when you're at home chilling out, when you're walking down the street, when you're driving down the road? How are you doing at living in partnership with him? Number two, God has endowed you with power to make a difference. Part of being made in God's image is, is that, that we have been given a power source in our body that allows us to function in the world. And he's done it in such a way that we can actually use the power source he's given to rebel against him. He's endowed us with a power to operate in the world. There's this proverb, uh, Proverbs 18.21, and it says, the tongue has the power to bring life or death. Just as God has the power with one word to speak life into existence and the power with one word to destroy, you know, he's given that power to us. He has given you a tongue that can speak life over the people around about you and over the world around about you. And he's given you a tongue that you can use to destroy the people in your life and in the world around about you. God has given us words that are powerful. And then he's invited us to use those words to harness his power and invite it to fall on the situations in the world? Are you walking in the power that he has given you and invoking him? Number three, 
You have been deliberately and strategically placed, and that includes this church. You've been on a journey, been knocked from building to building and location to location. Do you know God is sovereign over every location that you've been in? God is sovereign over the house that you live in, the people that you work with, the school that your kids attend. And God has deliberately and strategically placed every one of you to impact the environment that you walk into. Some of you wake up in the morning and go into some of the darkest, uh, most worldly situations, and God called you into that place because your presence brings the power of the Spirit into that building to change the lives of the people that you interact with. Um, None of it is by accident. You've got verses like Ephesians 2.10, you know, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. There are works in this world and people's lives in this world that your fingerprints are the only ones that will unlock what's going on in their life. Because God, before the creation of the world, chose that you would be the one to speak into their life. You would be the one to be praying and interceding for them so that he could move and do the work that he wants to do. Last part here. (laughs) This is another one of these amazing mysteries that just blows my mind. God has obligated himself to act in response to our prayers. He has bound himself in a way that he works when we pray. You've got verses like John 14, 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Matthew 18, 19, again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done. John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Okay, there's some conditions in that. In my name, in agreement as the church, there are some conditions if you abide in me. But he's obligated himself to move in response to our prayers. John Wesley says, um, oh, the the exact word just went out of my head. Essentially, he says, there's not a single work that God does in the world except an answer to believing prayer. So he would say, when God wants to move in the world, he inspires you to pray for it so that he can then pour his spirit over the world. What if there's things that God wants to do in the world right now, and he's not doing it because we're not stepping in to ask him to move? What if there's situations in your life and your family and your community that God wants to move and answer to, but he's waiting on us as the church calling out to him so his power can be poured upon the situation that we're looking at. I want to share a final quote with you. One of my favorite quotes on prayer that uh, has significantly impacted my relationship with Jesus. It's by a sort of faith hero of mine, Pete Gregg, who founded 24-7 Prayer. But he says this, God is mobilizing an army, but it's a broken army that marches on its knees. Why do I share this? It's not about having it all together. It's not about being so righteous that you can manipulate God to do the things that you want to do. God is building a broken army, and he wants his marching on its knees. And and notice it doesn't say God is building an individual that marches on his knees. It's the church as an army that is driving back the powers of darkness because we're on our knees in brokenness and humility and in repentance, calling on God to move. It's about a praying church. More people grasping the role that he's given us 
so that more of his spirit can be poured out. To wrap up, I want to bring back to the opening pictures of the power of God and all its rawness and the invitation to intimacy and these two things held together as we pray. What do you want to see happen in your life? God is inviting you to get on your knees to call his power to bear on your situation. What do you want to see happen in this church? What do you want to see happen in the lives of the people in this church? What growth do you want to see in this church, both in depth and in breadth? What transformation do you want to see happen in the world? Will you step up? Will you be a watchman on the wall who is never silent day or night? So I want you to close your eyes. I want to read you just a very short story. Um, as we wrap up. This is from Pete Gregg's book, Red Moon Rising. He has a dream. In the dream he says, Suddenly I find myself in a giant hall. Surrounding me are thousands of young people, battered, bruised, and broken. Then suddenly I hear a voice. What am I bid? A young girl stands out before the crowd of leering, sneering men. What am I bid? for this piece of flesh. The men start to cheer and shout figures, 10, 20, 50, 100. What can I do, God? I start to bid. I have to save her. The cost becomes huge, and I begin to waver. Can I afford this? What price will I pay? The dream stops. I'm alone again, but the faces are real enough. Sarah being sold into prostitution. Mike with a revolver in his mouth. Cat covered in cuts and bruises. John falling into crime. Laura alone and desperate. Steve, heroin needle bulging in his vein. What am I bid? The voice shatters the silence. The auction is on again. The bidding has begun. It continues day and night until the end. Most of the bidders desire only to use and abuse, and Satan drives them on. And so I find myself in the auction, Will I watch or will I bid? The price of a single life is huge. The currency is prayer. The cost is massive, but the prize is glorious. A life for a life. What am I bid? God, thank you that you are real. Thank you that your power is available to us uh, as you invite us into the most intimate relationship with you. So God, would you help us to be a house of prayer? Would you help Creekside to be a house of prayer? Would you help us to be that broken army that marches on its knees, that lives our life in partnership with you, that understands the power and the authority that you've given us to intervene in this world. God, would you redeem our brokenness? Would you fire up our passion? And would you lay on us the intercessor burden? Uh, Lord, thank you that you're looking throughout this world to strengthen people. You're looking throughout this world for people that you can use. You look at Creekside, and you see people whose hearts are for you. God, you see people who are open to you. So God, would you continue the work of opening? Would you continue to pour out your spirit? Would you continue to draw us to our knees? 
And would you use this community and these people to call your power to bear on the world around us so that people are rescued from darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son that you love. God, thank you for the invitation you make to us. We receive it in Jesus' name.